Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. Hello, everyone. Welcome in to the latest edition of the Xander Specs podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. It is Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023. It is episode 113 of the podcast. 113 facts for y'all. We got a lot to talk about this week. Yeah, the Women's World Cup that's going on in Australia and New Zealand and the U.S. women who played Portugal... Very early Tuesday morning or Monday night, depending on when you watched, when where you were. We'll talk. I've I've lots of things to say, so we'll talk about that in just a second. We're also our main topic for this week is NIL and college sports, name, image, and likeness, which is basically throwing a wrench into everything that's been going on in college sports for the good, I think personally. And so we talk about what NIL is how we came to this point, what's going to happen in the future, how it's affecting college sports, all that stuff, everything you need to know about NIL, which is, if you watch college sports and you're into college sports, then it's a pretty important topic to know about because it's basically dominating the headlines. I mean, there's other things going on too right now, like Colorado going to the Big 12 Conference realignment, all that stuff too, but NIL is really an integral part of college sports right now that you really can't talk about college sports without talking about NIL, football, basketball, gymnastics, any sport, basically. So we're going to talk about all that in just a second here on the podcast. I'm going to give you all the lowdown. But before we do that, I just wanted to remind you all that if you like the Xander's Facts podcast, if you think you're going to like all the facts on this week's edition, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 113, rate and review the podcast, and then check us out on all the socials. Twitter, Threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z, and most importantly, remember to tell all your friends, spread the facts, Xander's Facts Podcast, tell all your friends about the podcast, about the newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts, if you don't know what the newsletter is, it's a recap of the week's top headlines, it comes out every Sunday morning, I write it on Substack, it's free to sign up and read in this episode's description, you should go do that. And also, check out the Xander's Facts link tree, which is also linked in this episode's description. It has all the Xander's Facts links that you need, including wherever to find the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, all of them. You can find it on the Xander's Facts link tree and find all our past episodes too, because we've had 112 episodes of past facts, so you might want to go check those out. So, this week, we are starting the podcast with kind of like an instant reaction to soccer. We're going to get to NIL, college, sports in a second. But, if y'all remember about, it was over a month ago, it was mid-June, we did our two little instant reaction mini-pods for the U.S. men's national team for soccer for the CONCACAF Nations League against Mexico and Canada. And I don't know if y'all remember, but I just listened to a little bit of them today. And and I recorded those. It was like midnight, right after the games had ended. And I was like, wow, I sound so happy. Like, y'all, I was in a good mood for those games. I mean, we had just dominated our regional rivals, Canada and Mexico. We basically sent Mexico into a little bit of a depression Canada is now bankrupt, I think. I don't know. And I was feeling good about our men's national team. And then we saw them in the Gold Cup, and it wasn't the right team, and they... Yeah, whatever. But with the women now, we had our Women's World Cup preview podcast two weeks ago, which you should go listen to, by the way, if you haven't. And I was kind of, I feel like, having the same thoughts, reactions. Oh my gosh. Yes, we're good. We're number one in the world. We can win three straight World Cups. Our U.S. women can. Well, I can now tell you. Two weeks later, on the night of Tuesday, August 1st, that I no longer feel that way about our U.S. women. I'm not happy. I'm not excited. I'm not joyous. I'm, uh, I'm depressed, sad angry, confused, frustrated, all those rolled into one, I guess. I don't know. Like, first off, if y'all don't know the context, the U.S. women, we just wrapped up the group stage in the Women's World Cup. 
They played Vietnam, 3-0 win, W. Netherlands, 1-1 draw, okay. And then Tuesday morning, 3 a.m. Eastern kickoff, y'all. They play Portugal. They have to win or draw to advance. And the score is nil-nil. So they drew. They advanced. But if you watch the game, it was probably the worst you've seen this team play. Maybe, well, probably at some point in your lifetime they've probably played worse. But in recent memory, that was atrocious. Like, y'all, they advanced, and I guess we should be happy about that, but we're still talking about the number one team in the world, the team that's won the last two World Cups, and they didn't look good. They didn't look like the best team. Like, okay, it's not 5 a.m. Like, I was seriously, y'all, debating. Because I was, listen, I woke up at 3 a.m. and I actually watched. I had, I knew I wasn't actually going to get up, so I set it up so my lights in my room came on when it was 3 a.m., and so then I had to wake up, and so then I actually watched the game, and I was, you know, a little groggy. But by 5 a.m., I was up. I was ready to go. I was about to record an instant reaction podcast, y'all. Lucky I didn't, because I'd be a lot more animated, I think, than I am now. Now I think I've just come down to the realities of what's happening. But, y'all, that was, that was rough. If you didn't watch the game, I mean, listen, the way this all started out, and there's there's other factors, I think, that make this worse, too, like the fact that it was 3 a.m., the fact that they're not finishing atop their group, which means that their times for their knockout rounds, like the kickoff times, are worse, kind of, than they would be if they had finished atop the group. There's results from other teams that we see, and then we see this team's results. It's, it's kind of a conflux of factors. There's other things I want to talk about too, but just starting out with what happened in the game, they, it just, it looks disjointed, like they don't have chemistry, and that's, you know, probably something we thought was going to happen coming in, considering you have a, a majority of your players playing in their first World Cup, and all those players who played, and 2015 and 2019 and who led you there's only a couple left and so as i mentioned two weeks ago it's kind of a changing of the guard right now for the u.s women's national team but we thought we were strong enough really as a team maybe or they were as an organization to get through that and be able to still perform like we've seen that has not turned out to be the case, and we kind of, we should have kind of expected it against Vietnam. We won 3-0, but we had, what was it, 26 shots? Like, you know, it should have been a lot more than 3-0. And then the Netherlands game, 1-1. The only reason we got a point was because Lindsay Horan, you know, got furious at her her teammate for her club who plays for the Netherlands and scored the header off the corner to make it 1-1 because the Netherlands scored in the first half and so we were down at halftime and we dominated that second half but that was it was still only 1-1 we still only got a point and then we see what happens against Portugal this was absolutely the worst performance of the World Cup of those three games for the U.S. I mean, at least we're not Canada. Canada's out, by the way, if y'all didn't know. We're not out. We're still going to play another game. Like, I'm not trying to... This isn't a funeral. I mean, I guess I asked on my on the episode notes, if you read those, is it time to panic? Um, well, from what I saw, it might be. As I said, it just looked so disjointed. They didn't look together. There didn't look like there was really much leadership that was helping the young players on the team when you're talking about the mental aspect of it and then when you're talking about on the field they just they at times they looked lost and really it was because of Naomi Gurma who was playing in her first world cup in the back and in, in defense and the post that were still in it like part of why 
A lot of people are so upset about this performance is because we were inches away from getting out in the group stage, y'all. And that would have been disappointing if it was the men's team. But we're talking about a women's team who has never finished worse than third in eight women's World Cups. This is the ninth women's World Cup and we've always finished top three. We've always gone to at least the final or the third place game. And we were inches away from getting knocked out in the group stage. Not to Brazil, not to Japan, Sweden, Spain, Germany, Canada, Netherlands even, England, to Portugal. This isn't Penaldo's Portugal. This is the women's Portuguese team, who this is their first World Cup. Y'all, and you know what? They played a great game. I thought all three teams, Netherlands, Vietnam, and Portugal, played really well against us. You know why? Because we were kind of easy to play against. The game plan. And this is why a lot of people... Listen, we heard about all the Greg Berhalter hate during the World Cup last year. And he's back and, you know, deal with that all. But the Vlatko... Andonovsky hate, who's the manager for the U.S. Women's National Team, is real, it's alive, and y'all, it's probably deserved. In the Netherlands game, there was one substitution at halftime for Rose Lavelle to come on. That was it. You have five. You only had, remember, three back in the day. You have five substitutions now. And you use one at halftime because he said, well, we were doing so well, I thought it would mess it up what okay sometimes but also when you have the players that we do on the bench and you know it's 1-1 and for lots of reasons you'd like to win the group and get three points and you're so close we were we were really close to getting three points in that netherlands game and there's only one sub the team i don't know tactically doesn't look there. They look lost. That's I think that's from a leadership role too for some of the players because I do think that it's a conflux of events that are making me angry about this, but that are also affecting this team. And listen, they didn't play well. Very few players really played well. As I mentioned, Naomi Gurma. Um, up top, Sophia Smith, obviously, she played well. She had the brace for Vietnam. In this match, I don't know, she had the yellow card. Just up top, Lynn Williams was in on the right for Trinity Rodman. That's, that switch is kind of like, is it really necessary? That's like Vladko just saying, well, we didn't do very well in the Netherlands game. We only had a point, so we kind of need to make a change. So you're just making a change for the heck of it. That's kind of what it felt like, and it didn't really work out. And, you know, my name buddy... Alex Morgan, I mean, let's just, it it hasn't anywhere, really, hasn't been impressive. In the midfield, Rose Lavelle, who's coming off of injury, has probably been our best player. She got a yellow card. It was kind of a silly yellow card, and now she has two, and according to FIFA, you're... Bay, you can't play the next match when you get two yellow cards. Not in the same game, because that's a red card, but in... I don't understand. Two yellow cards in a tournament, and oh, now no, you can't play the next game. Like, what, what, what is that? I don't, I, I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me. And you know, substitution, I said, Megan Rapinoe is not going to be starting in this tournament. 38 years old, she's going to be super subbing. And I <laughs> remember saying two weeks ago, you know, we have the talent we do, and then we bring on Megan Rapinoe, teams are just going to be like, oh my gosh, y'all, come on. But, listen, it, ugh, I, it hasn't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I have the words to say, but for Meg, it, there was just turnovers, were the story with Megan Rapino. she didn't look good, that was the 61st minute substitution, and then, also, the issue with the subs, Frandinovsky, the next substitutions are for Rodman and Sonnet in the 84th minute! Why are we waiting so long? It's nil-nil. We 
listen, this is like, if Portugal win the game, they advance instead of us. So Portugal are obviously trying to win the game, and we're in it, and it's nil-nil. And as you know, anything can happen when you get into the final moments of a draw. And at that point, we're basically playing defensive. Like, we're playing not to lose. I think it was mentioned on the broadcast on the during the game. They were talking about they're not playing to win, they're playing not to lose. That was kind of how it felt like all game. I think at the beginning they, you know, tried to score goals and, you know, be on the front foot and attacking and offensive, but they just they looked disjointed and the attack and the builds up and it didn't really work out like you talk about Portugal had I guess the numbers are kind of weird because FOTMOB says 56% possession for Portugal, but FIFA has their in contest. So, but the majority of the possession went to Portugal, which usually that's fine, but, you know, it's usually fine for the U.S. not to have the ball the majority of the game. But when we look back at what that game was like, it, it's, it's really indicative of, you know, that was, that was poor. And then the other two substitutions come on in the 90th minute for Kelly O'Hara, who basically showed more heart, I think, than any other player out there. And Alyssa Thompson, who makes her debut in the World Cup, the 18-year-old who we've been all clamoring for. Can we please just see her in the 90th minute? Like, the game's over. Oh, wait, it wasn't because Portugal basically had their best chance of the game to win it go off the post right about then. Because we were playing not to lose at that point. And when you're playing not to lose in a draw, you know, we've seen it time and time again. Anything can happen. Like, y'all remember back, it was in the World Cup U.S. final group stage, men's World Cup in Qatar last year. Final group stage game for the U.S. against Iran. We score Pulisic, oh my gosh. The one he got kicked in his ding-dong. And then... We're up 1-0. I mean, that's it. We've got the win, but we have to play a second half. And Greg Berhalter parks the bus. We won, but y'all... I don't know if y'all remember that game. The adrenaline inside of... Prob well, probably every US fan, but myself. Y'all, my heart was pounding. I was about to have, like, a mini-stroke while watching that game. That was rough to watch that second half or we just sat back and let Iran keep coming at us and they they almost they almost got us because a draw would have sent us home we needed a win and then at the end of the game here on Tuesday morning at 5 a.m whenever it was that's what it felt like like honestly I was kind of just laying in bed just kind of like oh yeah I well you expect that to happen because the way they're playing I mean that Deserved. Portugal deserved to win that game. They were the much better team. Like, if you watch the game and you look at who the better team was, it looked like it was Portugal. Now, listen, we still had, I mean, listen, we still had 17 shots, six corners to their one. Like, but it really, there were very few times where it felt like it was dangerous for us. Like, the finishing that we kind of said everything worked in the Vietnam game except for the finishing because we had those 26 shots and we only had three goals. And so that's an issue, but there's... It's just... It just feels like cohesion, really. Like, the team... And you know what? There's a lot of things that could be affecting this. It might just be the injuries that they're facing. We talked about the U.S. might be tough enough to su survive all those injuries they're facing. I mean, we're talking... The captain, Becky Sauerbrunn, is not there. Mallory Swanson is not there. Katarina Macario is not there. Sam Mewis, Christian Press. Like, veteran leaders who I think that's kind of missing right now. Because for all the great things that Players like Julie Ertz and Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan have done for the U.S. women's national team, like win World Cups. The leadership doesn't seem like it's there right now, like something is off. And, you know, in the postgame, 
Fox has their studio. They've got Lawless, of course. They've got um, Rob Stone as the host, Ari Inks, and then Carly Lloyd. I mean, listen, Carly Lloyd, legend for the U.S. women's national team, one of the greatest women's soccer players we've ever seen. But listen, y'all, a lot of people on the internet really liked what Carly Lloyd had to say in the post-match show when she uh, basically, and I agree with a lot of what she said. She was like, that's not good enough. Like that wasn't good. And that was basically the sentiment around the whole table. But there was also the, you know, after the game, they were showing the images and the players, you know, they were, they weren't sulking. They weren't depressed. I mean, they had advanced. They looked happy taking pictures, you know, just, you know, they had advanced out of the group. They didn't finish atop the group because, you know, the other factors we talk about, Netherlands beat Vietnam 7-0. They looked dominant, and they could have scored more against Vietnam. Like, 7-0, they put their foot off the gas pedal. Like, they, they looked absolutely dominant in that game, and it happened at the same time. And, you know, as you're watching the game, you just see Netherlands keep scoring, and you're like, oh, we're not going to finish at the top of the group. And then at the end, you're like, oh, we gotta, you know, we're about to lose. We're about to get out, like, of the whole thing. Like, during the game, them just keep showing the Netherlands scores. Like, oh, the Netherlands scored again. Oh my gosh, the Netherlands scored again. Oh, wonderful goal. Now it's 7-0. And the fact that we're still at nil-nil. So, you know, it's the fact that we didn't win the group, which is a little disappointing, you know. But listen, the players are, I mean, they're taking selfies with the fans. They look happy enough. They're still going on. But Carly Lloyd did not like that. No, she said there was, she had never seen anything like that. Like there was a difference between, you know, respecting the fans and doing all that and dancing and smiling, which was going on. And, you know, how you're lucky not to be going home right now. And obviously... I agree with most of that. Like, you know, I I mean, can like they can do whatever they I mean, take it easy. I mean, they still advanced. They're I mean, listen, we expect more out of them, but I'm not really, you know, a stickler for I don't think the reason why the US women are performing the way they are is because they're dancing and smiling and doing all that. But what she also mentioned in the post match was all the things about what's going on off the field. And we talked about that in the preview show a couple weeks ago, about all the stuff that the U.S. women have advocated for off the field. Equal pay, which they've kind of been a standard bearer for around the world. I mean, there's a lot of countries and a lot of women's teams playing in this World Cup who are fighting for equal pay just like the U.S. women were. And, you know, advocating for social justice issues and all the endorsements and stuff. Like, if you watch the games, almost every other endor- uh, commercial is with a U.S. women's soccer player. But when Carly Lloyd on the Fox Soccer broadcast, on a Fox Soccer broadcast, by the way, where she's sitting next to Lawless, and Lawless has to be the one who's like, we're not, you know, trying to be, you know, old man, old lady, you know, says back in my day, when Lawless says that, you kind of need to reevaluate your whole life, I think. But when Carly Lloyd, listen, I mean, the respect for Carly Lloyd and what she did on the field, immense, you know, incredible. But when Carly Lloyd talks about all the issues going on off the field, she says it started in 2020, I could sense it, you know, right when I was leaving. Like, you know, the this is, when she talks about issues off the field, that's a dog whistle, y'all. Okay, Carly Lloyd basically not only did not support what basically all of her teammates did when kneeling for social justice, for, you know, supporting those issues, basically all of her teammates are doing that. She refuses, and then, you know, not only refuses, but comes down and is like, no, that's a big distraction for our team. I don't like that. And she comes off as this person who was deeply serious about soccer and the game and not trying to have any of the other distractions. Like, that's what she wants you to think. 
And with all the endorsement deals, I guess, players like Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, Sophia Smith, you're seeing them everywhere. She talks about how that's a distraction for the team and how that's a major issue. That's what's really affecting them at this World Cup is not, not you know, the tactics, which are clearly something is up. And Vladko, I don't know. I tried to leave that to the professionals, like the people on Fox, but they don't really talk about tactics on that show. They just really talk about, oh, well, we must win. We're the United States. And you know what? We, all the off-the-field stuff. But in the fall of 2016, Carly Lloyd's playing for the Houston Dash, but she's doing a book tour. She, while she was playing, continuously promoted her CL10 stuff, merchandise, like, for her to say that the -the off-the-field stuff is a major distraction for this team when the stuff she's done in the past, and you can look it up, like, that's very hypocritical. And then the way she ended with the national team, oh, by the time, I mean, the social justice stuff and the all the issues they want to get around and the arrogance and all that stuff. Listen, you don't think this team played arrogant in 2019? Alex Morgan scored that second goal on that header against England and did the teacup celebration. That's as arrogant as it gets, but we love that because we won. But now, and obviously now, when we're struggling, you call the arrogance out. But Carly Lloyd, who was obviously involved with those, and Carly Lloyd, who in 2019 complained that she was used as a super sub, she said that was the bottom of her career, like, just couldn't accept it. For all the crap Megan Rapino gets from a lot of people who have never, ever watched a soccer game, y'all, about everything she advocates for. You think she's complaining right now about being a super sub? We haven't... I haven't heard anything. All I hear about complaining about being a super sub is from Carly Lloyd. And listen, y'all, we're, like, we're gonna see... There's that documentary, if you all remember, that's following the U.S. Women's National Team around right now that we know about. So we're going to, I think we're going to figure out, you know, near, you know, hopefully soon when that documentary comes out, what this is. Is it really this team is just too arrogant? They, you know, feel too good about themselves. They're all worried about all the off the field issues. Or is it actually what I kind of think it is? And it's that they're it's the tactics and they don't look together as a unit and so i probably wouldn't have as big a problem with what carly lloyd said i mean lawless says that stuff all the time you know he was he lawless was basically egging her on and so was rob stone for whatever reason on there he was pissed that the team was happy and greeting the fans after the match for whatever reason but with the history that carly lloyd has and the the fact that by the end she was not as welcome a part of that team team that won the world cup by the way 2019 was still dealing with the equal pay stuff that's been going on for a long time like all the off the field stuff was going on then mega people were hating on megan rapino and all the players and all the stances they were taking then but they still won the world cup so how is it different now because you're not there oh I mean, I'll just leave that alone. I know I'm not as fired up as I probably would have been, like, after the match. It's, you know, 12 hours after the match, and I'm exhausted because I woke up at 3 a.m. That's also, you know, you made me wake up at 3 a.m. for that crap. Like, really, I mean, jeez Louise. I mean, Fox, what are you doing? Lawless and the female Lawless on the same set? I can't, that's, I, ugh, I just, okay. No, we're gonna we're gonna move on. I mean, listen, we're still in the thing. We're still in the Women's World Cup. Most likely, I think the opponent's gonna be known by the time this podcast comes out. It's gonna be Wednesday morning is when the games kick off. But I think it's probably gonna be Sweden. Sweden is not the Sweden of the past, but apparently we're not the US of the past. And if we play the way we did against Portugal, it's it's not gonna be pretty. We're gonna lose, y'all. This is knockouts. This is one game now, and you're out. Kind of like it was against Portugal, but 
even more so now because you're playing Sweden and not Portugal. You're playing a much better team. So something has to change. I don't know if it's, you know, I don't think it's the, I don't think the issue is that they're smiling and being happy and, you know, enjoying themselves, that they're playing for the U.S. women's national team. It must be all serious business. I don't think that's the issue. I think it's probably a tactical issue. The subs, like a lot of people who really follow the U.S. women's national team closer, like 2021, the Olympics, Vladko, this was kind of an issue then, and it's been building and building, and now we're here, 2023. Jill Ellis is not the manager of the U.S. women's national team anymore. You know, and even taking the youth and the inexperience in a World Cup into consideration, the talent you have, it's it's not good enough what's happening right now. And so something's got to change. They need to be much better against Sweden. Right now, I think they're going to lose to Sweden. Sunday morning, 5 a.m. Like, ugh, Jesus Louise. If they had won the group, they'd be playing at 10 p.m. And then their quarterfinal match would be at 9 p.m. That'd be a lot... I would love that. But now, it's at 5 a.m. And then if they manage to get to the quarterfinal, I think that's at like 4 or 3. And then the semifinals at 4 a.m. And the finals at 6 a.m. Oh, gosh. It's rough, y'all. Don't worry. <laughs> three years from now, we got a, we got a World Cup that's going to have perfect time zones because it's taking place right here. But do I hope the U.S. women win? Of course. I still... There's... I, st I still think they can win the whole thing. They just really need to show us something that they have not shown us in this tournament, and I'm not confident that that can happen. And they're going to play a really tough opponent against Sweden. And then if they beat Sweden, I think they could play Japan in the quarterfinal. Japan just destroyed Spain. Spain, who's looked like one of the best teams in the tournament, and then Japan just obliterates them. So, you know, like, listen... Four goals. We scored four goals. I don't know if y'all remember in the 2015 group stage. Won that tournament. We did not look impressive in that group stage. Like, we can't act like we've never been here before with the U.S. It's, it hasn't looked pretty before. It's just right now with the world catching up. And that's obviously happening. But, you know, the U.S. set the standard four women's world cups two straight u.s set the standard now a bunch of the european teams have gotten up there but we're not playing to that standard right now and in order to actually make a run get to the semifinals, to the final potentially win it we need to get back to that standard i yeah all right that's all i'm gonna say about that because that's i'm tired and i just you know, that was, I mean, I was not happy at 5 a.m. this morning when it was nil-nil and I had to wake up at 3 a.m. to watch that match. But at this point, I'm just like, you know what? We'll see what happens. I don't think they'll win. I hope they win. I hope they win their next four games. But I guess we'll see. But we do have another thing to talk about, though. So why don't we get to that? Let's get to our main topic for this week. On the Xander's Facts Podcast, episode 113, on Wednesday, August 2nd, which I wanted to talk about sticking with sports, name, image, and likeness in college sports, because there's been a lot of change that's been in the air in college sports these past few years. I mean, we've talked about conference realignment on this podcast. We did that episode a few weeks ago. It's already outdated, because the Pac-12 had 10 teams. Now they only have nine. Colorado's going to the Big 12... And that could, I mean, that could open the floodgates, who knows? So conference realignment's a major issue in college sports right now. The transfer portal's out there as well. But I think what's having the biggest effect right now is NIL. Name, image, and likeness. Now, you've probably heard of it, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you don't know what it is, what the ramifications are. So that's what I got all the facts for this week. We're going to clear up everybody's questions on the Xander's Facts Podcast this week. What is NIL? How did we get to the point where college athletes can finally profit off of themselves? Which I'll talk about more in a minute. And what is likely to come next? Y'all got questions. I got factual answers. So let's get to it. We are talking about name, image, and likeness in college sports. But let's start with 
what is NIL? What is the history of NIL? And to do that, we have to mention one of just the greatest regulatory bodies that every I don't know a single person who hates the National Collegiate Athletics Association. Do you? The NCAA? Yeah, okay. As you may or may not know, college sports, or at least major college sports in the U.S., are regulated by the NCAA, which was established back in 1906. But, you know, we talk about 1906 even farther back. Universities started playing football like in the 1860s after the Civil War. Ever since then, those participating in varsity sports at these universities have been considered amateurs, meaning they aren't able to receive compensation for their services. For many decades, the NCAA fought against providing compensation to student-athletes, which is a term that first appeared in 1953. Student-athletes. They really want you to call them student-athletes. The Colorado Supreme Court ruled in 1953 that an injured football player for the University of Denver was entitled to workers' compensation because he was an employee of the university. That's what the Colorado Supreme Court ruled. NCAA said, oh, no, 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 no. They are not employees. They are student athletes. And so they responded with that term in order to make sure that they could claim these athletes as amateurs. Because they didn't want to pay them. That worked for several decades, you know, over half a century. But recently, the floodgates opened. Like, y'all may remember back, this is, gosh, this is almost 10 years ago. But EA Sports used to create these yearly editions of college football and college basketball video games. I used to play those all the time, y'all. Back on the back on the Xbox 360, yeah. With the NCAA giving the go-ahead for EA Sports to do that. But in 2014, there was a lawsuit, and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 9th District ruled that the NCAA was unlawfully conspiring with its members under federal antitrust law to misappropriate players' NIL when it used their NIL for licensing contracts for video games, player jerseys, broadcasts of old games, and other products. So, in these video games, like, I'll give you an example, because my team is Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, in the game, had a quarterback. The quarterback was number three. The quarterback always had a certain height, weight, you know. Like... That quarterback was Logan Thomas at the time. You knew it was Logan Thomas, but his name wasn't in there. He was basically him, but it was like QB number three, or they put some randomly generated name. And they did that for basically all the players in major college football. So, like, they were basically using their NIL, but the players weren't able to profit off of this. So, there was a class action lawsuit that was filed by former UCLA men's basketball player Ed O'Bannon. He's, you know, there's been a lot of people who kind of consider him to be this villain who took away the college sports video games, which stopped being produced in 2013, 10 years ago, after the NCAA didn't renew its license with EA, Electronic Arts. But O'Bannon, like... He said repeatedly his goal wasn't to take away the video games. All he was trying to do was just to get the athletes the compensation that they deserved for basically being in the games. Like, he he didn't want to take the games away. The NCAA did that. Because the lawsuit determined that the NCAA needed to allow its schools to provide the full cost of attendance for student-athletes, which was usually around three to $6,000, which the NCAA had already started doing after O'Bannon filed the lawsuit. But even after this, college athletes still couldn't profit directly off their name, image, and likeness because the NCAA basically had two options. They had the option of, okay, we can allow you to profit off of you being in the game and we can put your name in it and you can make money. Or... They had the option of, no, we're just going to get rid of the game entirely. We don't care. No, we don't want you to get any money. Guess which one they took? They took the latter. And they came up with basically four main arguments for why amateurism was the best model 
for college sports. You already, I got four of them. Number one, they claim that amateurism drove consumer demand for college sports and that NIL would lessen fans' passion. Uh-huh. Of course, that makes little sense. It's been found in court, by the way, judges have been like, really? And in surveys, that people are fans of college sports, not really because they're amateurs. Like, I think there's a lot of people who watch college sports in spite of the people who are on the field, on the pitch, diamond, court, whatever, being amateurs and not getting paid. But what was found is that people were actually fans of college sports because they're rooting for a school they went to or they have some sort of relationship with or because of the college spirit and how awesome it is to watch college football or basketball, like the atmospheres that are just incredible. That's why people watch college sports. Not because, oh my gosh, these people are amateurs, let's watch. No, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The NCAA, number two, they claim that amateurism promoted competitive balance, which is also silly because I remember just before NIL a couple years ago, what, who was always at the top of college football? Who was always in the playoff? Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Michigan, Ohio State. Year in and year out. Am I remembering that right? Or was there competitive balance? Because if I'm remembering things correctly, the last two college football playoffs are where we've had TCU and Cincinnati. Teams that you would not expect to get there, but we've had NIL. Hmm. So maybe NIL promotes competitive balance. Maybe it's the exact opposite of what the NCAA was actually arguing. Imagine that. Number three, the NCAA argued that amateurism helps integrate academic and athletic goals, promoting education, which is obviously a good thing. However, courts have argued that makes little sense because there's other NCAA rules like limiting weekly hours spent on athletics, mandating class attendance, that do more to promote education. Not really not getting paid. And number four, the NCAA also argued that schools might leave Division I and drop down to Division II or III because of the restraints on athletic compensation Division I has. Although... This argument has also been debunked because many Division I schools have claimed that they have gained a greater ability to compensate athletes in Division I. So, four main arguments for the NCAA, and all of them are just... They're garbage. I mean, you've got stories like Bryce Young. Bryce Young was star quarterback for Alabama, just drafted number one overall in the NFL draft quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. He recently said that before NIL, he was driving for DoorDash and he was wearing a hoodie and a mask so he wouldn't get recognized, like as a star college quarterback. There's a ton of stories that you've probably heard about of the NCAA coming down hard on athletes who, we're not talking about big things, we're talking about receiving a meal or a small payment all in the name of amateurism, the NCAA says. Then, of course, you know, there's also the NCAA issuing the death penalty, if y'all remember this back in the 80s, to SMU and their football program because it was found that there were under-the-table payments being made to recruits and their families to entice them to play for SMU. Obviously, SMU knew that was wrong and did that anyway, so there's... and But there's also the NCAA issuing major sanctions towards USC, and Reggie Bush, star running back, after he and his family received over $290,000 in cash and gifts. His Heisman Trophy was revoked. But now NIL is, you know, in this day and age, that'd be totally fine. So, like, why is his Heisman Trophy still revoked? That, that doesn't make any sense to me. They haven't said, oh, wait, yeah, you were, you, you were awesome that year. Here you go. They still haven't done that, which is just astounding to me. Like, the NCAA went to great lengths to protect amateurism because they didn't want to pay 
their student-athletes. Why would you? I mean, this is free labor, and we're getting hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars a year from ESPN and Fox and NBC and CBS and Turner and all them who are paying for our product, and we don't even... We can get it. We can keep it all for ourselves. We don't have to give it to the players like the pro leagues do. You know, things have changed, though, in the last few years. Thanks to another court case, in June of 2021, two years ago, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously in the case of the NCAA v. Alston that the NCAA was unlawful in implementing caps on student-athlete academic benefits, or compensation, due to antitrust laws. The opinion was written by Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, but Justice Brett Kavanaugh wrote in his concurrence, this was, I had to quote this because I'm not a big Kavanaugh fan. I know he likes beer, but this was pretty good. Uh, when he wrote that antitrust laws, quote, should not be a cover for exploitation of the student athletes, unquote, which is, come on, NCAA. And so that happens June 21st of 2021, I think. The NCAA had to move fast. They adopted an interim NIL policy, which they did on July 1st, 2021, almost like they knew what was going to happen. And I just, listen, what got me was doing all my research, and I saw the NCAA's press release for this, for announcing their interim NIL policy. Then-president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, he said in the statement, quote, This is an important day for college athletes since they are now able to take advantage of name, image, and likeness opportunities, unquote. Oh, you mean the things you fought for decades not to happen, and now you say this is an important day? Like, I guess it's not, you know, overly flattering, like, this is so wonderful, but, you know, it's, I just found that to be amusing. So, basically, July 1st, 2021, student-athletes were now officially able to compensate on their likeness. Long time coming. States with NIL laws, because some states have their own NIL laws, they had their laws go into effect, and the NCAA said that individual schools who weren't in states that hadn't created their own policy were able to set their own policies for their own athletes. California was the first to have an NIL bill back in 2019, But there's 28 states that have their own NIL laws, like Georgia, Texas, Virginia. There's a bunch of other states that have their own NIL laws. And anything NIL was basically fair game, except for two big things. Pay for play and quid pro quo. If y'all remember what was, I guess it was like four years ago. And if y'all watched political news four years ago, you've heard quid pro quo. But um, basically in this case, means that recruits weren't able to sign NIL deals contingent on going to a certain school and also pay for play so athletes couldn't receive compensation directly from the school and any compensation couldn't be tied to performance. So that's basically led us to where we are today, what has actually been described as the wild, wild west. You've got college athletes who are able to actually receive money for appearing in advertisements, selling their own merchandise, signing autographs, making posts on social media, etc., which I think is awesome, you know, because these are things that any other college student could have done, but no, a student athlete can't for whatever reason. Now they can. I mean, college athletes can even sign agents to help them negotiate these deals, course the rule is they cannot be automatically bound to each other if the athletes decide to turn pro now when we talk about this you're probably thinking of two big sports football and basketball yes but nil's reach basically every sport i mean you've probably heard of gymnast livy dunn from lsu she's got over four million followers on instagram over seven million on tiktok She's pulled in over $3.5 million in NIL money. But the football and basketball players, they're cashing in too. I mean, you've got quarterbacks like Arch Manning from Texas, the the Manning family, yes, 
Caleb Williams from USC, Bo Nix from Oregon. They've all gotten over a million dollars each. I mean, Angel Reese, who was the star for LSU women's basketball, she's gotten over one and a half million dollars. Like, this is serious money, y'all. But it's not coming from the schools themselves. It's coming from what we know as collectives. Now, a collective is like this company that's founded by, usually founded by alumni of a university. It raises money and it assists athletes of those schools to facilitate NIL deals. I mean, you've got examples like at Penn State, they have Happy Valley United. They have the Grove Collective at Ole Miss. At USC, they have House of Victory. Like, they're not directly a part of the school. In a lot of cases, though, they they work closely together. Now, there are some where the NIL collective and the school are like totally, they don't work with each other at all. But a lot of them do. Lots of schools even have multiple collectives. Collectives, they've also been signing contracts with recruits. And that money, apparently, in a lot of these contracts is being guaranteed regardless of if the recruit is on the team in the long term. Of course, pay-for-play, as I mentioned, isn't allowed. And the NCAA released some updated guidelines last year that designate collectives as boosters. You've probably heard of boosters. People who are raising money in support of athletics at their schools. Boosters have never been able to be involved in recruiting. Meaning that because the NCAA said last year, oh, collectives are now boosters, the NCAA could crack down on collectives that are offering deals to recruits. Of course, if the NCAA did that, they'd probably set themselves up for another lawsuit. NCAA could face further antitrust scrutiny. They wouldn't like that. And like previous trials, a lot of the previous trials have not gone in the NCAA's favor. So they obviously need to be wary about that, whether they can actually enforce the rules that they're making. But it has led to many thinking that there needs to be more guardrails. There was one Power 5 head coach in football who was quoted in an article in The Athletic. He said, quote, We all know what's going on at some places, and now it's the wild, wild west. It's out of control, and it's beginning dramatically worse by the week. By the day, it seems, unquote. That's pushed many administrations in college sports to look for help from Congress. You know, the place that's well known for helping people in a timely manner, that Congress in Washington, D.C. But there's actually been several bills regulating NIL that have been proposed. There was a bipartisan bill that was proposed last month that would, along with NIL regulation, would also suggest that schools be required to be more transparent about their finances and put funds toward post-career medical expenses and long-term guaranteed scholarships. Now, there's that's only one of, like, over a dozen that have been proposed in Congress in the last three years. None of those bills have even made it out of committee. So, likelihood, not so great. Now, if a bill did pass, it would basically replace what is still an interim policy from the NCAA. They haven't said it's the permanent policy. And the NCAA, along with other administrators, like the commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey, they want a bill that would ensure that athletes are not deemed employees of their schools, because wouldn't that just be awful? Like, I read this Notre Dame just signed a 10-year, $100 million extension to their contract with Under Armour. Wouldn't it just be the end of the world if some of that money went to the players and not all of it to the athletic department? Wouldn't that just be terrible? Like, you know, they're the ones wearing the stuff. And as long as athletes aren't considered employees, they can't come together to form a union. So, that's basically what's going on right now. But what does this mean for the future? That's what NIL is. I mean, we're not exactly sure yet about what it means for the future, because I'm sure you probably know Congress doesn't exactly move very fast, even on things that are considered top priority. And NIL regulation really isn't top priority. 
And the NCAA has this wish for an antitrust exemption so that they don't have to consider student-athletes as employees. That's probably not going to be granted in the current political environment because you've got Democrats and Republicans who are taking a look at MLB, Major League Baseball, and their exemption right now, they're increasingly critical of it. So they're not really, you know, wanting to grant any antitrust exemptions right now. But what it should mean for the future is that athlete compensation in college sports is here to stay. Of course, it would make sense that the athletes get a cut from, you know, their athletic departments, universities, for representing them on the field, the court, the pitch, whatever, because obviously that would make sense. But NIL, I think we can admit, is a step in the right direction. NIL is just one piece of a growing set of rights that have been given to student-athletes, though, because you've also got the transfer portal. As I mentioned at the top, student-athletes aren't bound to one school for three or four years in school, and then they don't have to sit out a year anymore while moving schools because when a coach leaves his job for another job, does he have to sit out a year? I don't think so. So why should an athlete do that? You know? but. Those have come with downsides, most notably tampering, that is, wink wink, definitely not going on, tampering, no no no. That of course can easily be traced to a lack of oversight, because, you know, the wonderful NCAA. Future could also hold changes on that front too, because there's a new president of the NCAA, former Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker. He was announced as the new president of the NCAA, he took on the role Back in March, I believe he started. And I guess there's like a little chance his NCAA could be more receptive to actually doing things the right way, not going after schools for petty little things, and actually, you know, being welcome to athletes, being rightly compensated. Uh, turns out, probably not. That, of course, in the future... If there's a bunch of schools, particularly some powers in college football, who are like, you know what, enough is enough. We could see some changes on oversight, too. I mean, that's all speculation for now. What you need to know about NIL and college sports is that it's basically transformed college sports. It's allowed college students to finally be able to capitalize on being these amazing athletes that we sit down and watch every Saturday in the fall and then basketball and baseball and softball and hockey and lacrosse and tennis and soccer and gymnastics you know all these college sports with all these student athletes who were not getting compensated at all which just I don't I don't understand how that went on for so long but obviously we still need progress Things still need to progress, but NIL being here and what it's doing and what it's allowed for athletes to make money off their likeness, I think has been awesome. And it's also bringing back a college football video game because EA Sports is releasing a new version of their college football video game next summer. So I'm kind of hyped about that, even if I probably won't even play it. Sadly. I don't know. We'll see. That's basically, though... All you need to know about NIL, name, image, and likeness in college sports. How, you know, a couple years ago, this wasn't even, you know, being talked about. Now, it's dominating conversations around college sports. Obviously, conference realignment's up there too, but NIL is a major part of college sports now and talking about it. So you know what? I gave you all the facts. So now you all know all the facts about NIL and college sports. How about that? Xander's facts. Those are all basically all the facts I have for this week's podcast, though, y'all. Thank you all so much for listening. Remember that if you liked all the facts on this week's episode, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 113, rate and review the podcast, then check us out on all the socials, Twitter, threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Xander's facts, that's Xander with a Z, and most importantly, remember to tell all your friends, spread the facts, Xander's Facts Podcast. Tell all your friends about the podcast, about the newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts, about Xander's Facts on YouTube. All our new episodes, including this one, get posted to YouTube. You can watch with a nice background. Go subscribe, do all that. 
And then check out the Xander's Facts link tree, which is also linked in this episode's description, because it's got all the Xander's Facts links that you need. Facts overload if you go on the Xander's Facts link tree. So go check that out. Next week is episode 114. Hopefully I'm not as tired next week, because hopefully I'm not waking up at 3 a.m. the day I'm doing this podcast. You know, I think usually I probably would have had more vigor in that soccer rant, I guess. Next week, though, we're talking exclusively soccer, because the European club soccer season for the men's is, like, just about to start up. We're in August. The preseason tournaments here in the U.S. are finally ending. It's time to play games that actually matter. Those begin, I think the Premier League begins next Friday. And so, I mean, we got to talk about the European club soccer season. Basically, tell you all, there's been a lot of U.S. men's national team transfers. So, of course, we got to update you all on that. Lots of stuff. Lots of soccer facts that we're going to have next week on episode 114 of the podcast. Make sure to tune in next week. But that is it. That is a wrap on episode 113 of the Xander's Facts Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 114 next week.